Let's pray together. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we see not, show us. What we are not, make us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the jobs that I am most jealous of is the job of what I call the water park, water slide, air traffic controller. (laughs) You might have met this person in your travels around the world. This person is a lifeguard at a water park. He or she sits at the very top of a water slide and is given the all-important task of telling the next person in line when they can go down the water slide. This man or this woman is like, I think of them like the commander of the water slide. He or she sits there in a comfortable chair under an umbrella. They usually have something cold to drink. Their job is to sit there enjoying the shade, enjoying the breeze, enjoying the view, and simply tell the expectant tourists when to go. I would love to have that job. I'm sure every once in a while things get exciting or there's a problem, but most of the time, the what I call water park, water slide, air traffic controller has one job, and that is to say, with the wave of a hand of incredible power, go. Or maybe even just to grunt with the wave of a hand of incredible power, go, and then count to 20, and then repeat, and take a sip, and enjoy the view, and repeat. It sounds awesome to me. Now I think, reason why I bring this up, I think that many of us think that Jesus' job is actually a lot like that job. That now that Jesus has, you know, ascended into heaven, where he sits at his father's right hand, Jesus' job has basically transitioned now. And his job is basically the role of that of a heavenly air traffic controller, a glorified delegator, if you will. That's what Jesus does. He sits on the throne, reigning from on high, looks down upon the earth, down upon the church, down upon his disciples, and with a wave of a hand of incredible power just simply tells his disciples when to go. You, go to that school. You, go do that job. In many of our minds, this is basically what we think Jesus is up to now. He sits, he watches, he evaluates, he tells us where to go and what to do. And his days, his days of actually going places, or his days of actually doing things, are over now that he's in heaven. He's basically now in a management position. If that's how we think about Jesus, then we have forgotten something incredibly important. If we think about Jesus kind of like a a coach on the sidelines, and we're the players on the field, or Jesus as the guy at the top of the water slide, and we're the ones going down, then perhaps we have forgotten the most important thing there is to know about Jesus. Jesus is not some kind of divine air traffic controller. Jesus is not some kind of divine delegator. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. 
He's Lord of heaven, Lord of the earth, Lord of all creation, and he's Lord of the church. We know this. And our gospel reading from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, 1 through 20, helps us also see this today. He is Lord of the harvest. He's Lord over his laborers. And Jesus' lordship is a reality whether or not that reality is acknowledged. It doesn't change reality. He's Lord whether or not he's received as Lord. So in light of that then, for us, this is the amazing mind-boggling, outlook-altering power of the lordship of Jesus, that Jesus' lordship, his blessing, his kingdom is unleashed upon the earth through us. Where we go, Jesus himself goes. Jesus directs our life. Jesus, Jesus commands our steps, and then through our life, then through our steps, Jesus accomplishes his purposes. Jesus reigns as Lord over us, yes, but not just over us. Jesus also reigns through us. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 20. It's a long passage. We'll move quickly, but it will be helpful to you, I think, if you can follow along. Make sure I'm not making any of this up. The title of the message this morning is Jesus Reigns Over and Through His Church. The part of me that is and always will be Southern was tempted to name it something kind of different. Would have been this, Jesus Reigns Over and Through All Y'all. I kind of like that better. Because it's true. And we'll see it this morning in our text. Jesus is talking to us in Luke chapter 10. If you happen to have a red letter Bible where the words that Jesus speaks are read, most of this passage is read. It's, it's, it's Jesus talking to us. There's a few points where Luke frames some things, and there's one point at the end where the disciples say something silly. But Jesus is talking to us this morning. He's saying, I am not just sitting on a chair under an umbrella telling you to go. I am actively on the move as Lord. I am actively going with you as you go. I am actively breaking my kingdom into this world as you go. I am actively, as Jesus, decimating the power of darkness as you go. He reigns over and through his church. If you're taking notes, we'll be looking at our text under three categories today. Our mission, our message, and at the end, some final reminders. So first, our mission. Verse 1. After this, this meaning what Stephen talked about last week from Luke chapter 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Whose harvest is it? It's Jesus' harvest. What role exactly does Jesus play in the harvest? He's the Lord of the harvest. So what role then does our Lord assign to us? We're laborers. It says it right here. Laborers appointed and sent into his harvest. I know this is basic, but stay with me. Because you know what happens when you get the basics wrong. Well, then you're basically wrong. And here's the basic thing we have to see about Jesus. We have to see this about him and never stop seeing this about him. Because if we don't see this, we get Jesus wrong. And we get the gospels wrong. And we get everything else wrong. And it's this. Jesus is not our coach. Verse 
Jesus is not our consultant. Jesus is not our cheerleader on the sidelines. Jesus is Lord. This is all his operation. This is all his doing from beginning to end. He is the Lord of the harvest, and he sends us out as his laborers to proclaim him. Picking up in verse 3 now, we see how. How he sends us out on mission. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Thanks a lot, Jesus. I was hoping for something a bit more powerful, a bit more comfortable, a bit more attractive than that. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Why? Because Jesus is communicating his way of using his laborers to proclaim his gospel. First, Jesus is saying that his kingdom will not come by force. His kingdom will not come by force. Second, he's saying we will mirror him. We will mirror the one who left his father's throne. We'll mirror the one who allowed himself to be beaten and crucified. Our vulnerable lamb of God sends us out as lambs in the midst of wolves to mirror, to display his vulnerability. And by sending us out in this way, he's reminding us, Jesus reminds us when he sends us out as lambs that he is not a high and lofty air traffic controller. He is our shepherd He tends to us. He's with us. He takes care of us. We are not just any old lonely lambs. We are his lambs. And he's our shepherd Lord. So it is not weakness for us then. It's not weakness for us to act like or feel like lambs. The posture of the church, the posture of the Christian is never to be a posture of arrogant power. The posture of the church is to be a posture of humble Christ-likeness. Jesus could have sent us out as anything. He could have said, I send you out as warriors. I send you out as fighters. What's he say? I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. We continue to see how he sends us out on mission with all the provision we'll need and with urgency. Verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Why? Why no money bag or knapsack or sandals? Why is Jesus here instituting a no carry-on luggage policy? It's because he wants us to trust him. He wants you to trust him. His resources, his wisdom, his care, not your own, not your own resources, not your own wisdom your own care, your own plans. Trust him. Jesus is reminding us over and over and over again, he is Lord. Because he's Lord, he equips us with all we need. Now, why does he also say not to greet anyone on the road? Why is he telling us this? Is he saying that we should be like a bunch of people who forget to drink their coffee in the morning? No. He's communicating urgency. Jesus is always communicating something deeper. He's communicating urgency. Remember what Jesus just said in verse two. The harvest is what? Plentiful. So he's saying, go. Go trusting me. I've got you. And go with urgency. If we stop right now, we already have a sermon. We can just move on, do the creed. We've got enough here in these four verses to to 
to teach us a lifetime of lessons about our mission as the church. He's saying that he wants the church to be characterized first by prayer. Remember he said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Characterized by vulnerability as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then this prayerful, vulnerable, yes, vulnerable, humble church is to go forward trusting that Jesus has got us. Trusting that Jesus is Lord over all the details and not wasting any time. Do you trust that Jesus has got you? Do you trust that Jesus has got Truro? Because he does. So trust him. Now in these next five verses, five through nine, Jesus keeps talking to us about our mission. Look with me at how he encourages here a kind of peaceful confidence in his lordship. Verse five, whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. In other words, you have nothing to ever lose by proclaiming the gospel. You have nothing to ever lose. Be confident in this. Whatever house you enter, wherever you go, whatever office or dorm you're assigned to, whatever classroom you'll be in next year, Whoever you sit next to on the metro or on the school bus, Jesus will proclaim his gospel through you. He will. And if someone is there with a heart to receive it, then praise God, they will receive it. But if not, you haven't lost anything. It will return to you. It will still rest upon you, Jesus says. Verse seven, he says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, they receive you, eat what is set before you. Jesus often repeats himself, if you haven't noticed, because he knows us. He knows our frame. He knows how prone we are to forget everything he says. Even one sentence after he said it, he knows that we're going to forget it. So he says it again. He repeats himself here. Just trust me. Don't go from house to house looking for, you know, freaking out about everything. Just trust me. I've got you. Jesus is not removed from your daily life. Jesus is not passively watching you from a distance. Jesus dwelling inside of you. This is our, our, the promise we have as believers. Jesus dwells inside of us by his Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is encroaching upon the world through you. You walk into a house, he walks into a house. You walk into a hostile situation or meeting or class, he walks in there with you. You open your mouth and speak. Jesus opens his mouth and speaks. If it's true that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us, if it's true that the same power that raised him from the dead dwells in us by the Holy Spirit, then it would appear, it would appear then we have nothing to worry about. It's almost like Jesus meant it when he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's almost like Jesus knows what he's doing with this whole upholding the universe by the word of his power thing. It's almost like Jesus is good at his job of being Lord. We have nothing to worry about, Jesus is saying. So under his lordship, given our mission with this peaceful confidence that Jesus is painting for us here, now he tells us in verse nine, our message, heal the sick and say to them, now get ready for this. This is a complicated message he gives us to proclaim. 
heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. It's that simple. It's that simple. So we can stop adding to the gospel. We can stop subtracting from the gospel. We can stop obscuring the gospel. We can preach and proclaim the simple gospel, the simple gospel of a God who has come near to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Allow that, allow that simplicity to rock your world. God has come near to you. What good news we have to proclaim. What a gospel we have to proclaim. What a privilege to be laborers of the Lord in the harvest of the Lord, proclaiming the name of the Lord. Now, I know that many of you have been Christians for decades and decades and decades, and you might have never spoken about your faith publicly. It might terrify you. You might be thinking, well, this is a good message for preachers, but not so much for me. Well, I would disagree with you. Because whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a mom or a dad or an engineer or a lawyer or a student or whatever, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then you actually belong to him. You are his. And because you belong to Jesus, he actually has you right where he wants you, whether you realize it or not. Jesus has placed you where you are. He's even placed the people around you that happen to be around you. You might think you're just living your life, going through your day, working at your job, but actually Jesus is advancing his purposes through you. He is on the move through you, reigning over and through you. And maybe it's also no accident that you're hearing this message today. Maybe he wants to wake us up again to how he's using us, his lordship over and through us. Listen to how Paul puts it. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, I love this. He writes this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. I love that. Thanks be to God who in Christ, not sometimes, but always leads us, not in a timid procession, but in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, not some places, not just churches, but where? Everywhere. Even if you don't speak a word, Jesus will use you to spread his fragrance. I love going to a Mexican restaurant and ordering fajitas. You can hear them coming before you see them. You can smell them coming. The whole restaurant sits there and utter jealousy <laughs> while your server parades your fajitas through the dining room, spreading the fragrance of your fajitas everywhere. As they sizzle, as they smoke, they allow their incense to, to, to rise to the heavens. Jesus uses you like that. He uses you like a sizzling plate of fajitas in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Who wants to go to lunch right now, by the way? Can we just... All right, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He has you where he has you so that through you he can spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
He's good at his job. Jesus changes the focus now in our text, and he makes a few important points about those laborers of his that are rejected and about those who hear this message and reject it. Verse 10, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Two very brief things here. First, Jesus is saying the gospel will be rejected, but keep moving, keep going, don't lose heart. That's what he's saying. Don't lose heart, keep moving. Second, he is saying reality is reality, whether or not that reality is acknowledged. The message of the gospel is true. Rejection of that message doesn't change reality. Jesus has more to say about gospel rejection in verses 12 through 15. He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable. This is amazing. It'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, the town that rejects Jesus, that is. How can anything be more bearable than Sodom? Sodom was destroyed. Sodom, there was nothing left. It would appear, it's clear, Jesus is saying rejecting his message is so serious that the destruction of Sodom pales in comparison. Woe to you, Chorazin, a city we literally know nothing about. The Gospels don't say anything about it. It shows you how much about Jesus we don't know. We'll hear these stories in heaven one day. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Jesus is serious here. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Capernaum, what a sad trajectory. Capernaum was referred to in Matthew chapter nine as Jesus's city. He spent so much time there. They saw his miracles. They heard his message and they rejected him. And Jesus is saying that to reject the good news of life in Jesus is to actively choose death. It's not enough to admire Jesus. It's not enough to watch him. It's not enough to be a spectator. You have to follow Jesus. Jesus reminds his laborers, he reminds us once again how active he is to us, his solidarity with us in verse 16. He's talking to us here, laborers, but he's also talking to those who are unbelievers. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me. Look at that connection he makes. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, I just want to say that I hope, I hope in a room like this, there are some of you who are seeking, who have not yet decided what you think about all this Jesus stuff. I'm so glad you're here, and I invite you to respond in belief. I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ today. I invite you to believe and then to pray, now, Lord, help my unbelief, because to reject this good news of life, Jesus says this, I don't say this, Jesus says it, to reject this good news of life, to reject whatever Christians have told you this good news is to reject Jesus himself. We conclude now with these last verses as Luke does a scene change. He reports on the return of the 72 disciples. Each of these verses here has a loaded lesson for us. These are our final reminders from Jesus in our text this morning. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. So reminder number one, Christians are so prone to rejoice in the wrong thing, and that wrong thing is power. Jesus will come back to this, just a minute in verse 20, but how interesting, how interesting that in this entire passage, nearly all of it, again, in red letters, Jesus talking, the only time the disciples are heard from at the very end are when they rejoice in the wrong thing in the power they have been exercising. We're no different. So be careful. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So final reminder number two, Satan has been defeated. Satan's power over us has been broken past tense. And yet... With every gospel proclamation, with every step we take as Jesus' laborers, Satan's power is being defeated, present tense. You've heard of the now and the not yet. God's kingdom has come and is coming. Satan has been defeated and is being defeated. Praise God. Verse 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. So reminder number three here from Jesus, that the power of our Lord, the power of our Lord Jesus is so strong and so steady and so sure, and he gives us that power in his name. Remember, Jesus reigns over and through you. His lordship, his authority over all the power of the enemy is reigning through you. This is no heavenly air traffic controller on the top of a water slide. This is no divine delegator. This is our king who is actively, presently reigning from his throne with power and authority and presently reigning with authority and power through us on the earth over the enemy. In verse 20 now, Jesus concludes our text this morning by saying this, nevertheless, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So final reminder, reminder number four, for you and for me as Christians, for you, Truro, don't ever rejoice in what you do or in what you accomplish. Don't ever rejoice in your victories or in your triumphs because Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And Jesus is the Lord of the church. And Jesus is the one who crushed the serpent's head. And Jesus is the one who made Satan fall like lightning. Jesus did it. So only rejoice in him today. Only rejoice in the cross. Only rejoice in the glories of the grace that saved you. Only rejoice in the gospel that sets you free. Jesus is saying, only rejoice in him who rules and reigns over us and through us with power and authority and victory and majesty forever. Jesus is Lord and he reigns over and through us. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you, our victorious, reigning, authoritative, wonderful King. We praise you, our Lamb of God, and we ask that you would make this church mirror you 
Make this church display you to this community and to the nations. That you, Jesus, that your reign and your rule and your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.